This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight with The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and an episode that was aired in 1951. It was a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe, Robert C. Reiner, and John D. Swartz in their book, A to Z of Old Time Radio, noted that the program differed from most others in its genre. It was a more hard-boiled program than many of the other detective shows of the time, containing few quips or quaint characters. The program first aired... June of 1947 on NBC Radio under the title The New Adventures of Philip Marlowe with Van Heflin playing Marlowe. In 1948, the series moved to CBS where The New was dropped and it was called The Adventures of Philip Marlowe with Gerald Moore playing Marlowe. From July 1951 to the 15th of September of the same year, the program was a summer replacement for Hopalong Cassidy. Moore played Marlowe in all but one of the CBS shows. Initially, the author, Raymond Chandler, had considered asking for script approval for the Marlowe radio series, but ultimately he decided to have no connection with the scripting of the programs at all. He contented himself with the weekly royalties he received for the use of his character. And how thrilling for an actor to receive the words that Chandler was, and I quote, moderately pleased with Gerald Moore's portrayal of Marlowe. Well... Let's see what Philip Marlowe gets up to tonight in the episode, Good Neighbor Policy. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight the exciting story, The Good Neighbor Policy. The day was hot and sticky. The city wore it like a wet shirt. And to make things worse, there was a xylophone playing somewhere in the building, and that started me thinking about my neighbors. Mostly, I was thinking two things about them. One, I didn't know any of them. And two, I'd like to shake the hand of the fellow that banged that xylophone day and night and break it. Not a very neighborly thought, but then it had been one of those days... You know the kind that prompts the neighbors to set the dogs on each other. Yeah, but now the sun had called it a day. The wind had switched from the desert to the ocean, 
And I was figuring I'd be a better friend to man and woman if I took a long, cool shower. Well, there's got to be some legal way to kill xylophone players. Oh, no. Big finish yet. Big... Yes? Uh, your name Marlowe? Phil Marlowe? Yeah, that's right. I live two apartments down the hall. You got a call on my phone. I got a call on your phone? Well, look, the call's there. I'm a busy guy. You wanted it, don't you? Well, sure. Sure I want it. Okay, come on. All right. I, uh... I didn't catch your name. No, you didn't. In here. Yeah. Phone's over there on the desk. Uh... Snap it up, will you? Yeah, sure. Regular charm of this fella. Hello? Phil, it's Ann. Oh, hiya, honey. Something must be wrong with your phone. I keep dialing your number and getting a very unpleasant little man. Yeah, he's not so little. What's on your mind? Oh, it's out tonight, Phil. Oh, no. Oh, Beanie sprained her ankle a little while ago, and I'll have to fill in for her at the hospital tonight. That does it. What? Nothing. We'll do it again, huh? Soon, I hope, Phil. Call me tomorrow? Yeah, sure, sure. Goodbye, honey. Bye, Phil. The uh, lady says she keeps dialing my number and getting you. I report it. Yeah, why don't you? That's what I said. Oh, packing for a trip? In between phone calls for you, yeah. Look, it's only been one, and I said I'm sorry. What do you want, blood? Leave. Thanks. Neighbor. Like I said, it had been hot all day. I wasn't getting any cooler exchanging pleasantries with Laughing Boy. Back in my own apartment, I mixed myself a tall, cool drink and thought about Anne, who was neither. I just about decided on that shower again when I remembered about calling the phone company. I reached for the phone, and just as I did... Hello? Art, this is Rena. Listen, Ernie's crossed us. I can't talk now. I'll pick you up in ten minutes. We'll clear out alone. Hey, look, I... Ten minutes, Art. Be ready. Sure. Yeah, I'll be ready, baby. Oh, my name isn't Art. And it isn't. <laughs> oh, well, one good turn and all that. Oh, no. Hey, laughing boy. Come on, open up, will you? I got a message for you. Come on, answer the door. Anybody home? My, we're being rather boisterous out here, aren't we? Yeah, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess he's not home, huh? It would almost appear that way, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, I guess it would, yeah. You're uh, apartment six, aren't you? Um, Philip Marlowe, is it? Well, yeah, yeah, I am. Mrs. Uh... Miss Garrity. Oh. Miss Adley Garrity. Rather a nice name, don't you think? Well, yeah, yeah, I do, Miss Garrity. I'm apartment two. Are you really? Well, apartment two. <laughs> I've passed you ever so many times in the hall or coming in and out of the door, you know. Uh-huh. I just never felt that I'd known you somehow. No, I suppose not. But then you see... I often I... say to Mrs. Uh... Evans, she's apartment one. 
Isn't it shameful, I say, that we don't know our own neighbors anymore? Here we are, under the same roof, as it were, and yet, what do we share with each other, really? The utility? Oh, but that seems so little. Why, except for Mrs. Evans, the Randalls, the McCombs, the Nelson girls, and... Um, Oh, let me see now. Oh, oh yes. That young girl who plays with that softball team. Oh, what's her name? Well, um, I really don't know. Oh, I, Hattie. Uh, Hattie, oh. that's it. Yeah. Hattie Netherton. Well, as I say, except for those two or three people, I, I don't know a soul in the building. Well, that's the way it goes, isn't it? Some days you don't know a soul. Tell me, Miss Garrity, among the people in the building you don't know, do you also not know the fellow who lives here? Apartment three. Yeah, this door I've been beating on. Who's that? You don't know. And you're making all that fuss. Yeah, well, it does seem silly, doesn't it? Well, I should say so. But I'm afraid I won't be much help to you there, Mr. Marlowe. He's our newest tenant, you know. Moved in less than a month ago. Oh, well, I just thought... No, no, I don't feel that I really know him at all. Uh, He's rather a tall young man, brown hair, quite nice eyes, I've always thought. Oh, oh, that sounds like my I never see anyone with him, though, uh... Something's a lone wolf type, I Yeah, guess. well, look, thanks, Miss Garrity, but my Oh, and now that I is, think of it, I uh, have seen someone come in with him. Can I catch up to you again, Miss Garrity? But whether that it was call... man, woman, or child, I, I really couldn't honestly uh, say. Mostly Mr. Minter keeps Mr. doing Minter, stairs, huh? Well, thank you, and good night, Miss Garrity. Well, I'm it... Oh, great. Whoever it was, it hung up while Adelaide Garrity was telling me all she didn't know about the man named Minter. On the call before, someone named Rena had called him Art. Could be my unfriendly neighbor in apartment three was Art Minter. Yeah, well, that's pretty simple. Left me nowhere. Then there was Rena's message. Ernie's crossless. I'll pick you up in ten minutes. We'll clear out alone. Not exactly social conversation. I had a hunch about the phone call mix-up, but before I began to build a case about it, I called the chief operator at the phone company. Chief operator? Yeah, well, we've got a friendly little wager going here, operator. Will you settle an argument for us? I'll try, sir. Good. Is it possible for two telephone wires to get crossed in some way so that I could dial one number correctly and actually get the other number? Yes, sir. That is possible. Uh Uh-huh. It could happen only in the case of a slight equipment disorder. And only if the two numbers in question were on the party line. Well, in other words, by dialing my number correctly, you'd get the person on my party line, and by dialing his number correctly, you'd get me, is that it? That's right, sir. Would you like to report such a difficulty? No, no, thanks. Like I said, I just wanted you to set a little argument for us. Thanks very much. Not at all, sir. Well, now I knew that much. Neighbor Minter and I were on a party line, and the strange switch in calls was legitimate. Now I'd gone this far with the thing, I decided to leave the wires crossed for a while, just for laughs. And I looked at my watch. It was time to get a look at Rena. If she was coming for Mitter in ten minutes, she was due. I left my apartment, started down the hall toward his, and sure enough. Art? Art, it's Rena. Oh, please, Art, hurry. Hurry! Nobody home, lady? Oh, oh I'm, I'm sure he must be. I... Just talked with him on the phone a few minutes ago. Oh, well, he maybe he's in the shower. Yes, yes, maybe that's it. Yeah. Now, please, would you mind? That sounds like his phone. Yes, it does. I wonder... Yes, yeah, so do I. What's that? Nothing. 
I mean, if he answers it, he'll probably answer your knock, too. <laughs> yes, I suppose he will. Now, will you please leave me alone? Oh. Got to be there. Got to be there. The phone ringing in Art's apartment was far more frustrating to me than it was to Rena. I knew darn well the call was really for me. I opened the front door out of the welcome freshness of the evening breeze and the scent of night-blooming jasmine. By the time I'd inhaled a little of both and walked out to the end of the sidewalk, Rena suddenly barged out of the building, looked desperately up and down the street, and then headed toward a car parked across the way. And her car had an Arizona license. In a minute, she drove away. Back in my own apartment, I called the chief operator again. Only this time I leveled with her about the crossed wires on my party line. After that, I took a shower and decided to end a dull day by putting in some sack time. The last conscious thought I had was Rena's urgent voice on the phone. Ernie's crossless. I can't now. I'll pick you up in ten minutes. We'll clear out alone. I still didn't get it. I didn't get it the next morning either But I got up dressed and was starting for the morning paper Which my newsboy with questionable accuracy Always pegs in the general vicinity of my apartment door Didn't quite get there though before Hello Mr. Philip Marlowe Speaking this is the telephone company calling, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? The difficulty with your phone that you reported last night has been remedied. Normal service may be resumed. Oh, fine, fine. Thanks for calling. We hope you haven't been unduly inconvenient. Oh, not at all. It's been grand. Thank you for your patience, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, goodbye. Well, that's that. Okay, I'm coming. Uh, oh, hello again. Hey, I got another call for you on my phone. Same name as last night, I think. Yeah, but the phone company just Look, told you me... you always argue there's a call for you on my phone. I'll come on and answer. Well, how can I resist an invitation like that? It's funny, though. wonder how that happened. Yeah, you said that before. Yeah, I know, I did. I did, didn't I? Yeah. Did I say before that I don't much care for xylophones? Or you? I don't remember. I don't care. Oh. In here. Yeah. And the phone's over there on the desk. Hey, Buster, that phone's hung up. There's no call for me. What is this? This? This is a gun, Marlon. Yeah, I see it is. You know too much, Marlon. I don't like it when you know so much. So finish in just a moment, we will return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, a blind auction racket in which employees in a customs house have a confederate purchase a battered suitcase containing a fortune in jewels. That's what CBS Radio's gangbusters have to contend with in The Case of the Nazi Diamonds. Tonight, 
on most of these same CBS stations. Don't miss Gangbusters tonight for a suitcase full of jewels and thrills. Say, friends, the flood victims of Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Illinois need your help. Many are injured and homeless, and you can help to give them food, clothing, shelter, medical care. You can do your part by giving through your local chapter of the American Red Cross. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Good Neighbor Policy. Meta's quite nice eyes as Adelaide Garrity had described them were as cold and deadly as the automatic he rammed into my stomach. It was the first time I'd gotten a really close look at him. This one was too close for comfort. I had to keep looking at him, though. I knew that if I glanced away, blinked an eye, or made anything resembling a key move, he'd blast me to kingdom come. A little ahead of my time. He was dead wrong on one score, though. You got my call from Marina last night. You know too much. How can I know too much? I don't know anything. Now, look, Minter. When I saw you last night, you didn't know my name. You've been asking questions around, huh? Yeah. Well, so have I. Come on, Gumshoe. We're going to take a little walk. Now, look, kid, you're all wrong. And after we take that little walk, we're going to take a little ride. You can tell me all about how wrong I am as long as you can talk. Get going. Okay, okay. Uh, remember, Marlo, you're just going to walk down the hall and out of the building with me. No funny stuff. This gun's staying right in your back. Hey. I see what you mean. And the dawn comes up like... Why, it's Mr. Marlowe. Oh, Miss Garrity. And Mr. Minter, I believe. Well, we're up early, aren't we? Yes, we are. A little too early, if you ask me. Oh, have you the hiccups, Mr. Marlowe? If you do, I know the best cure. Just put your hands up high over your head. No, I don't have hiccups, Miss Garrity. Oh, then perhaps it was Mr. Minter. Uh, No, lady, I I don't have hiccups either. Well, someone hiccuped and it wasn't me. Oh, but no matter. I just came out for my paper. I won't keep you gentlemen. I know you must be off somewhere. And it's such a lovely morning. I don't believe it's as warm today, do you? Seems warmer to me somehow. No, no, I don't believe it is. Do you, Mr. Minter? Uh, Look, lady, we're in a hurry. Well, I'm sure I'm not keeping you. I must say I was just trying to do the neighborly thing, that's all. Yeah, I... I was saying to Mrs. Evans just the other day, what happened to the old-fashioned good neighbor policy? Look, lady... And this little incident this morning is certainly answer enough for me. It's gone. That's where it is. Gone. Get moving, Marlowe. Uh, Miss Garrity, you're the one who plays that delightful xylophone, Marlowe. Yes, yes, but... Oh, you can see it from the doorway here. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, I'm so glad you enjoy it, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I do, I do. I wonder, tell me, would you... Oh, I know it's a lot to ask. Play something for you. Yes. Mr. Marlowe, come in, come in. You make one move for her door. I'm going to kill her, too, Mary. She's right in front of me. Well, come in, gentlemen. Or aren't you a music lover, Mr. Minter? Uh, oh, yeah, sure I am. It's just that I'm a... Let me con- get your paper for you, Mr. Garrity! Get inside your apartment, Miss Garrity, oh, quick! Not this time you won't, Minter. Stay over on that wall, Miss Garrity. Don't 
don't get near the door. Well, what on earth possessed you, Mr. Marlowe? Why, you struck him in the face with my paper. Yeah, I did. Wait a minute. Shh. Can you see the street from your windows, Miss Garrity? Yes, but... Oh, here's your paper. Sorry, it's wrinkled. Oh, thanks very much. Well, I'm afraid I, I still don't understand your behavior, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, he beat it, all right. You'll get lost in that traffic in no time. What will Mr. Minter think? You're striking in that way. Uh, oh, well, I've got a mean streak. Hey, wait a minute. Let me see that headline. Well, I'm sure I don't know what's in it. If you remember, I haven't had Will you let me see it a minute, the... please? Please. Oh, yeah. Man murdered an investment holdup. Ernest Tolan, 38, employee at Hinshaw Investment Company, was found shot to death when the company opened its doors this morning. Upwards of $50,000 in cash and security were missing from the safe. Police believe Tolan the work late last night and drove the thief of thieves to lose company safe. Officials say, please, sir. Police were attempting to locate Tolan's widow, Mrs. Rena Tolan, whom neighbors saw leaving the house with a suitcase. Wow! Ernie and Rena! Friends of yours, Mr. Marlowe. No. No, but Minna's right. I do know too much. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but I don't feel up to playing for you right now. What? No, this morning has gotten off to such a such a peculiar start. I, I'm just uh, not in the mood for the xylophone. Oh, I know how you feel. Don't give it another thought, Miss Garrity. Ever again. <laughs> I called the landlady when I got back to my own apartment to see if she knew anything about Mitter, like where he worked. She was good enough to be out of town. I even went back to Miss Garrity's, but she'd already hit the trail to share the morning's excitement with any of a dozen people, including probably that girl who played with the softball team. But old Mr. McWilliams, the janitor, was bringing up the morning mail. Morning, Mr. Mack. How's the mail situation? 12B has two packages again. Again? Mm. How about me? Well, sir, you don't even read an advertisement this morning. How it is. Sorry. Yeah, well, you can't win all the time, huh? No, no, can't. Tell me, how about Mr. Minter? How's that? Mr. Minter, you know, he's, uh, he's in apartment three. He asked me to pick up his mail if there is any. Sure, if you can carry it all. Just this postcard. Oh, <laughs> I can manage, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's from his mother in Tucson. Really? Mm, they're all well. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Nice to see you again, Mr. Mack. Same here. Same here. Uh, hey, oh, say. Yeah? Is it hot enough for you? <laughs> it was. And Mr. Mack was right. And his family were all well, except for the return address in Tucson. There wasn't a lead on the whole postcard. But who puts leads on postcards? I took the card back to the apartment with me and called a questionable character I knew in Tucson and told him to find out all he could about Art Mitter, quick. Then I remembered about Rena's car having an Arizona license and asked him to check her. Yeah, and Ernest Toland, too. Called back in an hour. Well, he's uh, got no record, Marlowe. This yeah. winter guy asked yeah. me to check on. Oh, only get this. What? About a year ago, he gets divorced by his wife. You hear? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And right away, she hops over to Mexico with this tolling fella you ask about and marries him. Rena did? Wait, wait a minute, I got it written down here, so. Yeah, Rena. Rena, that's her name. Good. Now, a tolling was with an investment outfit here in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, but, but he transferred to L.A. a month ago. Yeah, that checks. What about Minter? 
Find out where if he works here, will you? If he does, that is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Marla, listen. This will rock you. What? He works at the Hollywood Library. Hollywood Library? Honest, his old lady told me. It rocked me, all right. The whole thing did. Ernest Tolan, now dead, had been set up as a pigeon a year ago back in Arizona. Only at some point yesterday, he got wise and decided to do the investment job alone. Trouble was, Rena didn't get the art with the news in time. She got to me. Now even the law couldn't locate Rena. And the last time I saw Minter, he didn't act like a fellow who was heading for the Hollywood Library. Still, you never know. I started out into the hall, observed gratefully that Miss Garrity's xylophone was still, if only for the moment. But when I got about even with Minter's door, something happened very like a familiar song starting all over again. It was Minter's phone ringing. I listened to his door. But there was no move from inside to answer the ring. And something told me he was another lock that needed springing. Yeah? Art, it's Rena. Where have you been? Uh, out for a while. Are you all right? You don't sound it. Yeah. They just winded. Where are you? I'm in a... Sounds so funny. Is someone there? Yeah, that's right. Well, not the police, Art. No, neighbor. You talk, huh? Oh, because you can't. All right, I will. I'm at the Bellflower in Ventura. If you call here, ask for Mrs. Guthrie. That's me. Got it. You got everything, didn't you? When you... Well, I mean... About Ernie. You're still going to split with me, aren't you? Yeah, sure, sure. I was afraid after I ran out. But you understand, don't you? You weren't home. Skip it, huh? All right, all right. Art... You get off work at four, don't you? Nothing's happened about that. Oh, yeah. Well, come up here as soon as you can after that. I'm... Well, just hurry, Art, please. I will. Bye. Bye. Excuse me, but can you... Loud. You. Lost my head, I'm sorry. <laughs> can you tell me where I can find Mr. Minter, please? Mr. Arthur Minter? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's in the stacks on the mezzanine. Mm. That stair ahead. Thank you very much. Well, not at all. And walk as quietly as you can, please. People are reading. You wouldn't disturb me the world. Well, no one's supposed to come up here. These are files. No one's allowed here. I was looking for something in investments. I said no. Hello. Come on. Take it easy, Minter. I got a message from Rena. Yeah? She says you killed Ernie. Look. Yeah, and I got a message for Rena, too. Ventura cops probably have her by now. Might call Lieutenant Matthews. Did any good, and it always does. He's sleep. I'll kill you, Marlowe. You're a rut. Aren't you, Minter? Come on. Where's the dough you took from Ernie and the securities? Are they in these permanent files, too? Is that why you had to show for work today? Yeah, I've got to show. But you never get them on me. They're throwing books. It's a good idea. Oh. <sighs> 
Well, this boy's really out. Yeah? Not to be said for heavy reading. I kept my foot on his neck till Miss Hush downstairs called Matthews. I needn't have. He didn't come too. And I waved the squad car off to headquarters from the library curb. Yeah, well, that's that. On the way back to my apartment, I got to thinking about a house with no neighbors, no xylophones, no crossed wires. <laughs> no fun, either. You know, all kinds of things go on in apartment houses. All kinds of people leading all kinds of lives. What's the line? Love thy neighbor as thyself? Yeah. But most people act like they hate themselves. Oh, well. There's got to be some legal way to kill xylophone players. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were High Everback as Art Minter and Jane Morgan as Miss Garrity, with Vivi Janice as Anne, Dora Singleton as Rena, Parley Bear as old Mr. McWilliams, and Gene Bates as the chief telephone operator. Gerald Moore may currently be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. The special music for Philip Marlowe is composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... This time I did a cook's tour of the San Fernando Valley in search of a missing woman. The case had a lot of positive developments. But the clincher, the clincher was a negative development. And in a camera shop. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. They worked together as a successful comedy team that entertained vaudeville, film, radio, and television audiences for over 40 years. And I love this part about their career. In the early days of talking pictures, the studios eagerly hired actors who knew how to deliver dialogue or songs. Well, Burns and Allen earned a reputation as a reliable disappointment act. That would be someone who could fill in for someone who was sick or otherwise absent performer on a moment's notice. So it went well with their film debut, too. In 1932, Paramount produced an all-star musical comedy, The Big Broadcast, featuring the nation's hottest radio personalities. Burns and Allen were recruited and made such an impression that they continued to make guest appearances in Paramount Features through 1937. And now on to tonight's show where Gracie wants to replace Clark Gable. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last... 
drop. And that drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, Margaret Brayton, Lou Merrill, and our happy postman. For your Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. The coffee that gives you so much more for so little more that it's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee in the world. Yes, Maxwell House. Expertly blended and radiant roasted for rich, mellow, extra flavor. Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good to the last drop. Well, as we look in at the Burns home today, we find George engrossed in the morning newspaper. Why don't you read the paper out loud, George, so I can discuss world affairs and current events with you? You discuss world affairs? Yes. Gracie, there's only one thing in this paper that would interest you. They've got a hat sale at the May Company. <laughs> well, for your information, Mr. Smarty, I would much rather sit here and discuss Russia or the political situation than go to that hat sale. You mean that? Well, certainly. All the best hats were grabbed when the store opened this morning. <laughs> I'll bet they were dillies. Would you like to see them? <laughs> You've already been to the hat sale? Well, don't forget the early bird gets the worm. That sounds like a hat you'd pick out, all right. <laughs> oh, now, come on, George. Let's sharpen our wits with a good old rough-and-tumble discussion of the news. Read some headlines. No, thanks. Oh, darling, forget that I'm your wife and think of me only as a great newspaper columnist. If you were married to Walter Winchell, what would you discuss with him? A divorce. <laughs> oh, George. Now, come on. Shoot some international problems at me and watch me knock them off. All right, brain truster. You ask for it. Here's one. It looks like Russia wants a piece of turkey. What should be done about it? Let him wait till Thanksgiving like everyone else. <laughs> Second question. Uh, how can automobile manufacturers speed up production? Make more automobiles. <laughs> Third question. Will Truman run in 1948? If people don't stop hounding him, he may start running before them. <laughs> Question. Fourth question. To stop inflation, how can husbands keep their wives from buying so many new clothes? Fifth question. <laughs> I like the fourth question. Maybe you better give me the paper, huh? I thought so. Oh, here's the Hollywood news. My goodness. There were ten couples married in Hollywood yesterday. Good. Yeah, but ten couples are getting divorced today. Same number. Same couple. <laughs> I see. Oh, here's an interesting item. Metro Golden Mare is going to make a picture out of that best-selling book, The Hucksters. And they're trying to get Clark Gable for the lead. Sounds great. But that book is all about radio. Why pick Gable? Because he's handsome, talented, and loaded with sex appeal. That's why. 
But I know a man who has the same qualifications plus 15 years' experience in radio. You mean... Uh... His initials are GB, and I don't mean Jack Benny. <laughs> you mean me? Exactly. Well, you'd be perfect as the lead in the Hucksters. Well, now, let's look at your qualifications. You know all about radio, check? Check. You're a fine actor, check? Check. You're good-looking, check? Check. You love to give your wife money, check? Check. Wait a minute. <laughs> What's that got to do with it? Oh, nothing, but I thought as long as I had you rolling, I'd throw it in. <laughs> Forget this silly idea, Grace. They'll never consider me if they can get Gable. Oh, they will, too. Come in. Good morning, all. Oh, good morning, Meredith. Meredith, you're the first to hear the news. George is going to be a movie star. Oh, Gracie. He is? Yes, he's got to replace Gable. Golly, do you think he's the right shape? <laughs> well, sure, he's off like Clark Gable. Oh, Gable. I thought you said Grable. <laughs> Believe me, that makes just as much sense. Gracie has a wild idea that I should be the leading man of the Hucksters, but I want no part of it. Well, gosh, George, if I had a chance to be a movie star, I'd jump at it. My girl, Goldie, would be awfully impressed. You've got a girl, Meredith? Yeah. She's a waitress at Joe's Swordfish House. <laughs> Formerly Joe's Steakhouse. <laughs> well, Meredith, have you told her you love her? Oh, I haven't gotten up the nerve to speak to her yet. But it's wonderful just to sit there and thrill to the touch of her hand. Touch of her hand? How do you manage that? I pour soup on my shirt and she wipes me off. <laughs> Meredith, that's no way to start a romance. Look, kid, I'm going to buy a book called How to Make Love. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, George. And after you've read it, lend it to Meredith. <laughs> I'll do that. Mm, I'll answer it. Meredith, you talk to George and try to convince him that he should replace Gable. Very well, Gracie. Now, George, if I... Good morning, Mrs. Burns. Here's your mail. Oh, good morning, Mr. Postman. Say, I want to see if you agree with me on something. What is it, Mrs. Burns? Well, I read that Clark Gable was going to play the lead in the Hucksters. But I know another man who'd be much better. He's the Gable type, only handsomer and more virile. You know who I mean. Oh, sure. But if I quit this job, I'll lose my pension. <laughs> oh, no, I, I didn't mean you, Mr. Postman. But you gave a perfect description of me, and I can just hear the slogan ringing forth now. The postman's back and Garson's got him. <laughs> but your wife, Bertha, is awfully jealous. Yes, you're right. She changed that slogan to, Garson's dead and Bertha did it. Well, there's nothing for you to worry about, Mr. Postman, because the man I have in mind to replace Clark Gable is my husband, George Burns. Your husband? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, Mrs. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. Oh, 
I can see the headlines now. George Burns replaces Clark Gable as star of the Hucksters. I think I'll call the will a party. Just a minute, Gracie. I'm not going to replace Gable. Now forget it. But, darling, the part is made for you. It's all about radio and you're Mr. Radio. Me? Oh, yes. Before you came along, radio was a toy, a plaything. People laughed at it. But believe me, when you came on the radio, they stopped laughing. <laughs> yeah. And not only were you a pioneer, but you're still the number one man. Why, the president of NBC told me that television would collapse without you. He said television would collapse without me? Yes, sir. He said, Mrs. Burns, your husband practically single-handed is holding up television. <laughs> I wonder how he meant that. Well, he meant that you're great. The greatest man in the history of radio. Oh, honey, don't say that. What would we do if it hadn't been for the inventor, Marconi? We'd eat spaghetti. <laughs> Besides, what's that got to do with radio? Nothing. I lost my head. <laughs> now, look, Gracie. Granted, I know the radio business backward and forward. But that doesn't mean I can replace Clark Gable. Why, Gable is a foot taller than I am and twice as handsome. On the screen, yes. But that's all trick photography and stuff. Hmm. Take off Gable's built-up shoes and he probably stands four feet ten. Gracie. The terrific figures you see on those screen heroes are not there. Why do you think they have to get to the studio so early in the morning? To be made up? No, to be laced up. <laughs> Look. At least uh, you wouldn't have to do that, George. Well, no. I could lace you up at home like I always do. <laughs> Gracie, you've got an exaggerated idea of how much they change movie stars' looks. No, I haven't. They stick putty noses on them, false eyelashes, toupees. Honey, relax. Believe me, Clark Gable looks just the same in person as he does on the screen. Oh, George, how little you know of Hollywood. Well, with a little makeup, they can make a person look years younger. How old would you say I looked in my last picture? About 25. Now, you see, they can make you look older, too. <laughs> Honey, if Gable wasn't tall and handsome, he couldn't take out all those beautiful actresses. I don't think they use any tricks on him. They use tricks on all of them. Look at Johnny Weisbuller in those Tarzan pictures. Now, don't try to tell me that he wears built-up shoes. He goes barefooted. Oh, sure. Well, they've got another trick to make him look fake. You know those lines he's always grappling with? Yeah. Those aren't lines. Those are cocker spaniels made up. <laughs> Gracie. Oh, I don't say it's uh, it's only men they use tricks on. Take Betty Grable. Her legs look pretty nice on the screen, huh? And how? Well, trick photography. From the waist up, it's Grable. From there down, it's Errol Flynn. Forget it. And forget all this stuff about Gable being short and, 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 and chubby. Believe me, in, in, in person, Gable is tall, handsome, and terrific. Now I'm going to the cigar store. See you later. I won't forget it. I'm going to call Clark Abel and talk to him about this. Where's that phone book? Mm, oh, here. Gable, mm, Gable. Ah, here we are. Gable, Arthur, Gable, Betty, Gable, C. That must be Clark. When I tell him about George, I'll bet he'll be glad to step aside.
Hello? Uh, hello, is Mr. Gable there? Yeah, just a minute, I'll call him. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> on second thought, I'm kind of curious to see Mr. Gable in person. Okay, come on over, he's right here. Oh, all right, goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, Charlie, some woman is coming over to see you. Yeah, probably a dame who left something in the back of my taxi cab. You ain't jealous, are you, baby? Jealous of you with that puss of yours? <laughs> you could put Lena the hyena in your taxi cab and she wouldn't give you a tumble. Oh, yeah? Listen, I haul them movie dames around in my cab, and then I have to come home and look at your kisser. Why, you broken-down head driver? I'll push up and Ah, shut kid. up. Don't you tell me to shut up, Charlie. Ah, shut up. Mr. Gable here. I'm Gable. You? Sure. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> they can work miracles. Huh? How tall are you, Mr. Gable? Five foot three. What? Huh. Imagine wearing heels a foot high. <laughs> How much do you weigh? Three hundred and ten pounds, but I... Oh, you poor man. How those laces must hurt. <laughs> Look, lady, and I... And your face. I wouldn't have believed Putty could do it. <laughs> Lady, would you mind telling me what you're talking about? Well, frankly, Mr. Gable, you're not quite what I expected. Uh, do you really take those Hollywood actresses around? Oh, plenty of them. I took Lana Turner to the truck last week, and just last night I took Lauren Bacall to the Macomba. My goodness. Then I drove her home and she slipped me five bucks. <laughs> she paid you? They all do. I ain't holding them around for nothing. But Lauren Bacall is married to Humphrey Bogart. So what? He came along, too. How modern. <laughs> hey, look, what you come to see me about, lady? Well, it's about my husband, George Burns. Oh, you want me to take him someplace? Oh, no, you wouldn't enjoy it. He's a terrible dancer. <laughs> I don't get it. No, well, all I want you to do, Mr. Gable, is to say that my husband can play the lead in the Hucksters. So let him play it. What's it to me? Well, can I tell him you said that? Well, sure, but I don't see what... Oh, thank you, Mr. Gable. Thank you a million times. You'll never regret your generosity. Goodbye. What a dame. <laughs> if this wasn't Hollywood, I'd say she was nuts. <laughs> Meredith Wilson and his chiffon music, Gershwin's Liza.
George, I've got the most wonderful news. What now? Well, I've seen Clark Gable in person, and he's an absolute mess. You look just as good as he does. Uh, Gracie. And what's more, he said he'd be glad to step aside and let you play the lead in the Huxley. Will you stop making up those fantastic fibs? Fibs? George Burns, how dare you say such a thing? Have I ever told you a fib? How about the one you told to get that new dress? Or how about the one you, you, uh, you told about the dent in the fender? Or the one you told oh, about... Oh, stop beating around the bush. <laughs> Just say yes or no. Yes. But now I'm telling you the honest truth. I just spoke to Clark Gable. Gracie, and he I've said... heard enough. I know it's not the truth. But even if it was, I'd never replace Gable. I couldn't equal that guy's personality in a million but years. George. Forget it. I'm going into the den. Oh, that stubborn little genius. <laughs> He's got Gable's look. Now he thinks he doesn't have his personality. Let's see, now, what is Gable's personality? Well, he's masterful. So strong and masculine that women are scared of him. Well, I'll have to convince George that he can frighten women. Hi, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. You're just in time to give me some advice. Yeah? How can I convince George that he's frightening? Hold a mirror up in front of him. <laughs> oh, no, Bill. I'm serious. Yeah. I'm trying to build up his confidence so he'll agree to replace Clark Abel in the Huxtons. George replace Gable? Well, yes. Don't you think he's got something Gable hasn't got? Well, yeah, and if Gable had it, he'd shoot himself. <laughs> I, I really think George would be magnificent in that picture. When people see him, they'll love him as much as I do. I want to share my little huckster with everyone. Tell me something, Gracie. Why do you love that little schnook so much? Why do I love George Bird? Yeah. Why, just look at his... And how about the way he... Oh, the many times that he... And don't forget his... And you ask me why I love George Bird. You know, for a minute, I didn't think you'd have a reason. Oh, Bill, come on and help me. Go in the den and convince George that he's the caveman type, strong and powerful. Point out his muscles to him. Who's going to point him out to me? <laughs> oh, go on, Bill, please. Okay, I'll try, Gracie. Well, hello, George, old man. Put it there. Give me some skin, kin. Huh? Slip me some hide, Jekyll. Shake, pal. Oh. Yeah, shake hands. Yeah. Okay, Bill. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, you broke me with a hand. You broke me. You broke it. But I barely squeezed it. You don't know your own strength, you brute. You broke me with a hand. Now they'll have to shoot me. Shoot you? Yes. What's the use of living if I can't pick up a cup of Maxwell House coffee? <laughs> Maxwell House is the very best in coffee drinking pleasure, yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup than the cheapest coffee sold. Now you broke my widow hand and I can't drink it. Bill, Bill, even if I did hurt your right hand, that wouldn't keep you from drinking Maxwell House coffee. Haven't you any left? George, when I drink Maxwell House coffee, I never have any left. <laughs> Oh, he made a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> you see, 
selection and blending of choice Latin American coffees plus radiant roasting give Maxwell House that famous flavor. In fact, it's so wonderful that it's bought by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. So insist on Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. You crushed it to a pulp, that's what you did. Now I'm through in sports. I was supposed to pitch tonight. I didn't know you played baseball. Who's talking about baseball? I got a date tonight. That's when I really pitch. <laughs> Goodbye, funny man. So long, caveman. Well, Bill, did you convince him he's the gable type, strong and rugged? No, no, Grace. He knows he's a weakling. He is not. George is just as manly as the next person. Yeah, unless the next person happens to be a man. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll do it myself. I'll go in and make him believe that he's the most masterful, domineering, frightening man who ever lived. George? Huh? Oh, that voice. <laughs> that vibrant, booming voice. Huh? Oh, what strength. What power. When you say, huh, you really mean, huh. Huh? Oh, there it goes again. How I tremble when you speak. My bones turn to water, but I love it. Look, Gracie. Turn me to water again, George. <laughs> Splash me around. Pour me down the drain. What is this? Oh, it's the grip of your personality. If a harsh word should pass your lips, the whole world would turn dark. Oh, stop. Oops, the lights out. <laughs> Will you please settle down and tell me what you want? I want to serve you, Master. You're the captain of my fate. I'm the captain? Aye, aye, sir. Gracie. What would you like for dinner? I don't care. You'll get it. Your word is law. <laughs> Look. What force? What vigor? I'm putty in your hands, George. Just putty. You are, huh? Yes. Stick me in a crack. <laughs> Shove me in a knot hole. Not a bad idea. <laughs> You're going to beat me again, aren't you? Are you nuts? I've never beaten you. Who won a gin rummy last night? I did. Beat me again, George. Oh. <laughs> this is murder. What a man you are. I'm the dirt beneath your feet. Now, Gracie. Dig me, Daddy. Fall <laughs> me under. Now, look. Why, you like the caveman Gable is. Gable, I knew it was Gable. We're back to that again. Now, for the last time, I'm not going to make the picture. But Gable said you could. Oh, stop with that. All right, I'll prove it. Who are you calling? Clark Gable, that's who. I'll show you I wasn't lying. Hello? Hello, Mr. Gable. Mr. Gable, it's me again. I want you to talk to my husband. Here, George. Hello, Mr. Gable? Yeah? Did you tell my wife I could play the lead in the Hucksters? Sure. Well, gee, thanks, Mr. Gable. What can I do for you? Call me whenever you need a taxi. <laughs> taxi? Aren't you Clark Gable, the actor? No, I'm Charlie Gable, the cab driver. I see. Goodbye. Goodbye. Gracie, Mr. Gable drives a taxi. Realizes he's through in pictures, huh? <laughs> he never was in pictures. You got the wrong Gable. This guy is Charlie Gable. Then... 
Clark Gable isn't short and fat and... No, he's tall and handsome. Well, do you still think I can take Gable's place? Yes, I do. You do? Certainly. You can drive a taxi. <laughs> us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, yours truly, Bill Goodwin. The George Burns and Gracie Allen show is written by Paul Henning and Keith Fowler. Until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one preferred brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Gracie, I'm glad you gave up the silly idea. I could never replace Clark Gable in the Huxton. I haven't given up. I've changed my mind. After all, there's only one difference between you and Gable. He's got a mustache. Gracie, from the lip down, we're not exactly twins either. His neck is bigger. His shoulders are bigger. His chest oh, is bigger. Oh, don't worry. When you get down to your feet, he won't be in your class. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.